I'm still on the topic, the spirit of truth and error. Uh, but today, this morning, I'm trying to take a, a bit of a different, uh, not a different road, but maybe a higher road to it. And I'm, I'm trusting God that you'll understand very well. So the spirit of truth in error. Deuteronomy chapter 30, 33, 0. I'll start reading from verse 15 down to verse 19. The spirit of truth and error. Um, this topic, um, I believe, has been a blessing to you. It's supposed to help you make the right decisions in life. Um, the, especially when you're young, one of the most important things to you is the decisions you make because your life is going to be the sum of the decisions you made. And the spirit of truth and error as a topic is supposed to help you to know the kind of decisions that you make in your life, whether they are decisions according to truth or they are decisions according to error. So we're going to look at... Um, during midweek, I took it a step further and went to how to escape the spirit of error. So today we're, we're going a, a little bit deeper again. But let's go back to where we came from. So I said Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 30. I'll start reading from verse 15. He said, see, I have set before you, so before thee this day, life and good and death and evil. Go ahead. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments that thou mayest live and multiply. The Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land where thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that he shall surely perish and that he shall not prolong your days upon the land without thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call in heaven, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That I've said before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. So, Jesus, um, Moses, sorry, is speaking this time and he's talking to the children of Israel. And he, he's saying something that God would say. He said, I said before you, life and death. He said, choose life. Your life will be a result of the many choices you make. So I said before you, life and death. Choose life. You know, I, I, I discovered very early in my Christian life that you cannot control people. You cannot control people. Sometimes some people think that's what leadership is about, controlling people. But I discovered very early in my life that you cannot control people. That is why we share the word of God with them to influence. We share the word of God with them to influence their choices because you cannot control people. Um, people will always be, their lives will always, you know, come to where the summation of their choices met. See, so when you see someone at a certain time in his life, um, whatever he's going through or whatever he finds himself, 
There are one or two choices here and there that are responsible for where he is. Sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously, unconsciously. Isaiah 9, verse 16. For the leaders of this people caused them to err, and they that led, and they that are led of them are destroyed. For the leaders of this people caused them to err. Remember what I said concerning error. Error could be misinformation or disinformation. You see, mistake is different from error. In a mistake, it was probably a genuine oversight, you know, grammatical, um, like a mistake when the person is writing something and the person, instead of writing, madam writes madman. I like that example a lot. But it's different when someone has been misinformed or disinformed or has been disinformed and the person now carries himself about making choices based on the wrong information he got. So that person is an error. That's different from a mistake. And Jesus talked about truth. Truth. You know, in your life, if you, if you live your life according to what is reality, what is truth, you know, truth is the accurate description. All right? The accurate description of any phenomenon. Truth. What's the truth about man? What's the truth about being a Christian? What's the truth about my life? What's the truth about my choices? If I was having information on the truth, I would make choices based on the truth and my life would go where it's supposed to go. For example, some people say there's no hell, there's no heaven. Is that truth? You see, because that is going to inform how I'm going to live. If there's heaven, then, and there's hell, then I sure need Jesus. All right? But if someone says, oh, that's not true. That's not the truth. There's no heaven. There's no hell. So you can live anyhow you want. And when you die, you die. You see, so that was also going to inform my decisions. So what is the truth? If I'm a boy and I follow like as I'm growing up, I like boys. Am I supposed to see it as an anomaly and correct it? Or I'm saying, that's my truth. You see that a lot lately. I'm living my truth. You don't have a truth. There is the truth. The world now tries to move everything into some sort of social construct where we have, no, we have nothing that is objective. Because objective means somebody's going to be wrong. You see... We want to make everybody right. So everything becomes subjective. It is what I think it is. So then where is truth? But Jesus spoke about truth. So you go to 3 John chapter 1. Start reading from verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. Verse 4. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. John said, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in truth. There are so many voices out there, so many opinions out there. Which one is the truth? You know, truth does not fear scrutiny. Truth does not fear investigation. Truth does not fear interrogation. There's something I want to add to every service. I want to create at least 10 minutes for anyone to ask any question concerning what was taught. Because you get that in class. 
What's that? Church. Everybody tries to just brush it and push it to you and say, hey, you can't ask anything, just move. You know, sometimes you find yourself that maybe there's maybe some um, pastor, all right? This is not in a critical way, all right? And they try to push a knowledge to you, all right? Then you can't question it because if you question it, you are disrespectful. Of course, I know there are people who try to be dishonoring, all right, of, elderly, of the elderly, you know, and they, they ask those questions, not looking for an answer, but trying to just make the whole uh, situation chaotic. But there are those who have genuine questions. And I noticed this about God, that God does not fear my questions. So sometimes to cover up what I said that I want you to go with, I say, do you know how long I've been in ministry? What does that have to do with this topic? That has nothing to do with the topic. You, you should be able to, you know, Tell me if I, 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 I need some information on it. I said, truth does not fear interrogation. Truth does not fear investigation. Truth does not fear scrutiny. The Bible talks about the Berean believers. They heard the message and they went to set the scriptures daily. Because people have gotten into error. Because they followed that which was not in scripture. You see, they followed that which was not truth. But because of the person who said it. Remember what he said? He said, the leaders of these people have caused them to err. And then what happened? They are destroyed. I don't know if you heard about it, but there was this um, pastor who's, who led his congregation into a forest and I think half of them died or so. He told, they to, he told them that they will go to heaven, something like, you know. I, I find those Christians a little, I feel sorry for them. They trusted the pastor. And you know, as a pastor, I tell you, truth, truth is costly. Truth is costly. Let me be frank with you. I remember in Best Western one day I preached, God does not need your money. I saw the lowest offering ever in, the life, in my life. But that was the truth. God did not need your money. He said, if I were hungry, I will not tell thee. God says, if I were hungry, I will not tell thee. He said that the cattle upon a thousand hills are mine. Truth is very costly. I saw the lowest offering all that day. I told them, God does not need your money. And it was true. I preferred that they would give God their heart. God says, if, if said, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a contrite heart. What God wanted was their heart, the humility of their heart to fear him and to love him and to worship him. That every other thing, which is whether giving or offering or time, will come from that place because we don't buy this thing. Yeah. All right, so it, it, it takes courage to be in the truth. And sometimes I think people prefer lies. Bring money, and from next year, all your solutions are for me. It's easier, you see? It's easier. It's easier. It's easier. Bring money. Bring money. All right. Pastor, I have such and so problem. I say, okay, keep coming to church. It's too simple. That's too simple. That's too simple. Rather, this problem is from your grandfather. So, bring four eggs, three onions. <laughs> one tomato. <laughs> sausage. <laughs> I'm sure by the time I said two sausages, pasta is hungry. <laughs> but you know, when you tell people those kind of things, they feel like, yeah. 
Yeah, like, you're not talking. But that person keep coming to church. Oh, can't be that simple. Can't be that simple. Prefer, um... And sometimes when you're praying for people and you don't add drama, you're not powerful. When you're, you're listening to them and, you know... And I see it a lot, especially when someone comes and says, I want to give pastor a seed. You have to squeeze your face as a pastor. <laughs> but if you don't squeeze your face, it's like, no. The person probably say, God bless it for you. No, that's what I want. <laughs> I speak unto you. That God bless it for you can sustain it for three years. But you want drama? And some pastors have now mastered the drama. Because they need to give you what you want. Very powerful pastor. See? Very powerful pastor. But if he's just doing it, you know, it's not powerful enough. Now, when it comes to error, anyone could get into error. And that's why I was teaching you how to escape the spirit of error. Because most people started right. So let's look at something. Matthew 13. All right, now we are going into a, a bit of mysteries. All right, so yes, the Holy Spirit should just help you open your heart to understand. And, and I know you understand. You will understand in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's something about Jesus and his walk in the scriptures. They were all prophetic. For example... When Jesus was, he saw the woman at the well. And the woman went to uh, tell everyone that I see a man, all right, who told me whatever, everything I'd done. Jesus went into Samaria and spent only two days and then came back. That was prophetic. It was not just, he didn't just visit. It was prophetic. What was happening? Jesus was, 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 was making a teaching that because he was not supposed, listen, he was not supposed to go outside the lordship of Israel. So, for the first time, Jesus gets out of Israel and goes to Samaria and goes to abide there for two days and then comes back into Israel. That was prophetic. He was talking about the calendar of God where Jesus was going to abandon Israel and go unto the Gentiles for two days, which is a day in the eyes of the Lord. It's a thousand years, which is two thousand years. That's exactly what Hosea spoke about. So the movements of Jesus, when you look at it, not at face value, but with the prophetic inferences, you understand, oh, this scripture means more than Jesus stood up and went to a place and came back. It meant more than that. His movements were prophetic. That's why most of the time when Jesus walked on the earth, Bible says, now he went here, that in my book be fulfilled by the prophet Isaiah. So Jesus' life, he said, Lo, I come in the volume of book written of me. I come to do thy will, O God. So every move of Jesus was prophetic. Every move of Jesus was according to scripture. So you see something very amazing in Matthew chapter, in chapter 13. Let's start from verse 1. The same day Jesus went out of the house. Now, every time you see house, you are, you are, you are, you are uh, referring to family. In the, in the Bible, you see house, family. So Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. Now look at this. 
He went out of the house and sat by the seaside. Why is this information needed? Because this was also prophetic. Jesus went out of the house, which is his family, which is his brethren, which is Israel, and went by the side of the sea. Now, in the Bible, every time you see sea, sea refers to men. So Jesus went out of the house and went by the seaside. Now, remember, remember what God told Abraham. He said, I'll make your descendants as a, as a uh, son at the seashore. So every time you see sea, it's talking about men, and the sun refers to people. But the sea, usually, because the sea was the mode of transport to other nations, the sea also represented the Gentile world. So Jesus went out of the house, then went to the Gentile world. Let's go. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him. Now, when he was in Israel, he did not have great multitudes. But when he came unto the Gentiles, he had a great multitude. All nations now worship him. So this was prophetic. He says, and great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship. Now, in the Bible, every time you see a ship, an ark, and a boat, is referring to the church. Why? Because the church is in the Gentile world, yet the church is not has not entered the Gentile world. The church is floating on the Gentile world. So we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So this was prophetic. Now, let's go. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now, he spoke many parables to them. Now, there's, a, there, there's out of those parables now, today's not a date for me to teach on the parables of the kingdom, but I want to bring one of the parables out. Because these parables actually follow themselves. Four of the parables were to the Gentiles. Three were to Israel. Jesus spoke seven parables in Matthew 13. Four were to the Gentiles. Three. So now, Jesus was going to talk about the church. And prophetically, these things followed themselves in the church. Now, when we talk about the church, I'm talking about the church um, uh, holistically, but, uh, you know, you, you have to receive it as, like, a person. All right? Okay. So... You move from here because I don't want to tackle this, this particular one because we need to go to other things. Go to uh, verse 9. Who are there? Let him hear. Go ahead. And the disciples came unto him. Why speakest uh, thou unto them in parables? Go ahead. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given to you, unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Verse 12. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Verse 13, therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. And in, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, by hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. Verse 15, for this people's heart is wax draws, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their ears and eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears for the hear. Verse 17. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. So Jesus now begins to explain the parable of the sower at this point. So we'll move from here. 24. 24. So I can, I can get it for you in context. Another parable. This is parable number two. So the first one Jesus is talking about, what he's trying to say is that about the parable of the sower, the first one is that when he came to sow the word, only 25% of the world received it. Because it was four, four soils. Only 25% of the world received it. So now, we move from there. 
to the next parable, which means this one will follow this one. So the, the life of the church followed actually these four. So you see this. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tears among the wheat and went his way. Now, there was a time. So, the first one, the sower went for to sow. And when he sowed, 25% of the people received. That's talking about Jesus because he said the seed is the word of God. Who is who? Jesus. From there, the next phase of the church was there began to be different schools of thoughts. There was the set of people called the Gnostics. So there was Gnosticism. There was Martianism. There were different schools of thought. Those that believed in the deity of Jesus Christ and not believed in the humanity. Those who believed in the humanity and not believed in the deity. Those who believed that there was no resurrection of the dead. There were different, different schools. These things were sown. And that was the reason. This was the reason why John wrote about the false prophets. Because there were different people who were sowing different things in the church. Why? Because at that time, he said the men had slept. In NIV, he says the workers had slept. So there was a time in the church of Jesus Christ, well, after the good word had been sown, the Peters and the Pauls had sown the good word. You know, the, the, the Christians at the time, the pastors at the time, had gone to sleep. When they slept, the enemy came to sow tears. So in the book of Revelations, the, 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 Jesus began to talk to the pastors of the churches and to tell them where they have, they have made uh, errors in their work. Because at that time, they had gone to sleep and the enemy came to sow tears. Go and went his way. Verse 26. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the test also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, did not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Will thou then that we go and gather them up? Verse 29. But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. There was, there was only one way you could you could differentiate the tares from the wheat. But the, the only way you differentiate the tares from the wheat is when they mature. You see, you could not take them out at an immature stage because they look the same. But there was something about the wheat and the tares. When they grow up, the wheat grows bowing, the tares grow standing. So you have to wait for them to grow for you to see that difference. The wheat grows bowing because the wheat represents the children of the kingdom who when they grow, the more they grow, the more humble they become. Because the wheat grow bowing. The tears, when they are growing, they are straight. But you cannot know that in the beginning except you allow them to grow. So the master says, you have to wait for them to grow. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed. Now, this is the, this is the parable I want us to focus on. Look at it. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. Now, the first one is a sowing one. Second one is a sowing one. This third one is also a sowing one. Now, he says, this third one, he says, the man took the seed and he sowed it in the field. A grain of mustard seed. Don't forget it. Which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Now, this particular verse, this particular verse, sometimes we use it to, exp um, to maybe you can prophesy to someone that, you know, um, it's, 
uh, a grain of mustard seed which is sown and it grows up and becomes a big tree, you know, it is applicable because, yes, it has something that has, so, um, has been sown and grows and becomes big. But this is a negative prophecy. Watch this. It's a negative prophecy. It's a negative prophecy that Jesus is giving. This parable is negative. But like I said, sometimes, for example, I, during the weeks of prayers, I prophesied to somebody with this. But the, the, the context was clear. I was trying to tell him that this is something that is small, that has, been, has grown to become big. But we are looking at how Jesus said it exactly and its prophetic implication. Was he saying it as a positive parable? Because this parable, Jesus didn't really explain it. Okay. I'll read verse 31 and 32 again. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a, to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took, all right, and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, hold on, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree. Okay, who here is into agriculture? Now let me ask him. You know about herbs. Do herbs become trees? He said, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree. How? Herbs don't become trees. How did the herb become a tree? Another thing you see about herbs. Herbs, their roots don't go very deep. Trees' roots go very deep. How did a herb become a tree? Time will not permit me, I would have taken you to Daniel chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that he had become a tree and birds had come into lodge inside. The herb, whose root was not supposed to have entered the earth, became a tree and he became a tree with roots that had entered the earth, had married the world. Anytime you see in the Bible, birds of the air, it's talking about demons. The prince of the power of the air. So it says, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs. It should have stayed there and become the greatest among herbs. But then it became a tree. That was a negative prophecy. It became a tree. It, 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 it transited from being an organism to becoming an organization. It became a tree. And because it became a tree, the birds of the air entered and began to find a nest in there. So you will see in the history of the church, there was a time that the church became institutionalized. The church became a big tree. And this is how you get born again. They baptize you. When they baptize you, they give you a silver coat to wear and you're a Christian. This became true in the history of the church. What had happened? The church had gone into error. And this happens to Christians. This happens to Christians. He was a good Christian. He was coming to church. He was enjoying, you know, his, his affection was Jesus. His heart was for Jesus. He loved Jesus. Then he joined the choir. Or he joined the ushering department. Or maybe joined the technical department. When he came, his passion was for God. Now he's in the technical department. I don't mean any of them. They are just, it's an example. He's now in the technical department and he's looking at how he's going to institutionalize what his service of God is, how he's going to charge the church and make money off the church. He has become a tree. The birds of the air are going to go inside there. Now he begin to function with demons. He doesn't know. Why? Because he has lost his first love. His first love was to be a herb. He has to have roots not touching the ground.
I know some people. I know some people. I know some people. Of course, not here. If they are here, I don't know. I know some people in church. Not here. I repeat, not here. Who, when any time it is time for the church to have a program, it's, them to, it's time for them to make money. When it's time for the church. So while everybody is giving, is giving, is giving, you know, for the program, they are at one side. Siphoning it. The thing is 100, he says 500. And it has been given to him. Why? Because we trust him. He's here. And why do we trust him? Because he was ahead before. We knew him. We knew him. He was a herb. He was a herb. Now he has become a tree. Will he collect the, Will he make the money? He will make it. He will make the money. But he should get ready. The best of the air are about to launch in there. They are going to live in there. Very soon. Give him some time. He will not be a Christian again. Become a herb. He said, become a tree. It's gone into error. The person has gone into error. Gone into error. He was a Christian, very good Christian, until he became a pastor and started seeing offering. Now he doesn't give his own offering. All members must give their offering. From January to December, it's about giving. If you don't give, you will die. If you don't sow, you will be low. <laughs> if you don't seed, you will need. Anybody can get into error. Every time you pray, as a Christian, you pray, Lord, don't let me get to that state. He said this was a master seed, an innocent master seed. He said it was the smallest. You see, the guy, the guy when he started, he felt like, oh, wow, I'm so grateful to God that I'm even a Christian. You see, he was the smallest. He sold him. He said it became a herb. You see, it became the greatest of all herbs, good Christian. Then it transited from being a herb and went to become a tree. So roots are deep in the earth. So there was a time in the history of the church where the church was so earthly minded. Earthly minded. If the gospel we preach is about making money, then we can't preach it in Afghanistan. But if the gospel is one, it should be universal. Ah, today they have, have come. We can't, pre we can't preach it in Af Afghanistan. If the gospel is to only make people rich, then we can't preach to rich people. The gospel is about Jesus. There are people, listen, there are people in certain countries in some time ago that you know, today, I mean, because of digitization, things are easier. There's in some countries that this is a true story I heard. They didn't have enough Bibles. True story I heard. I think it was a video I watched. The man said he went to preach in China. And he didn't, he didn't have enough Bibles. And so he said, okay, open to First Peter. The woman who was holding the first Peter gave it to another person. Why? She could recite first Peter. Why? There are not enough Bibles. They have to memorize it. They memorize it. So they knew it. And so, so they told him, he said, oh, here, yeah, if they catch you reading the Bible, you're going to go to prison. So he asked them, how many of you have gone to prison? All of them. They are back. And they are still meeting. They have gone to prison. They are back. They are still meeting. What are they looking for? Come as a tree. Sometimes we get into error. Sometimes we get into error, looking at the wrong things. Looking at the wrong things. Looking at the wrong things. This gospel is not for self-gratification. How do people get off track? So I told you, I said the first one was following your desire or following your heart. The second one is following the past. The third one is following the crowd. I want to show you something about following the crowd. Following the crowd. Remember what I told you last week? I said everybody can be wrong. Right? Everybody can be wrong. 
You don't have to follow everybody. Everybody can be wrong. You can follow the Spirit of God in the midst of the chaos. Okay. Let's use the account in First, first Kings chapter 22. I'll start reading from verse 1. I'll read from verse 1 to verse 22. So enjoy the story. And they continued three years without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Josaphat, the king of Judah, came down to king of Israel. Now, I'll, I'll just give you a little bit of a background to this so you understand the whole story. Now, at this time, um, Josaphat um, is king of Judah. Ahab is king of Israel. Ahab is a bad king. Josaphat is a good king. So these two guys, um, even though they are not kings over the same country, but because they are brethren, you know, they're already brethren, Israel and Judah, already brethren. So there was three years without war between Israel and Syria. Now, but Ahab wanted to be mischievous. So Ahab wanted to go and fight. So he said, it came to part in the third year that Jehovah became the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. Verse 3, and the king of Israel said unto his servants, Know ye that Ramoth in Gilead is ours, and we be still, and take it not out of the hand of the king of Syria? He said, Ramoth Gilead is ours. Why don't we take it out of the hand of Syria? Now, three years they've had peace, but Ahab is suggesting something. And he said unto Jehoshaphat, Will thou go with me to battle to Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as thou art, my people as thy people, my horses as thy horses. And Jehoshaphat said unto the king of Israel, Inquire, pray thee at the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men. Now, this was something that the kings used to do. When they are going for war, they will call the prophet and say, what, should I go or not? All right? Now, I told you that in this topic, as I'm taking this story, when I say uh, the prophet, as I don't think that I'm talking to some prophet somewhere. In the new covenant, you are the prophet of your life. So I'm talking to you. All right? Don't think I'm talking to any prophet. I'm not talking to any prophet. It's you. You. You're the one I'm talking to. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said unto them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to battle, or I shall forbear? And they said, Go up, for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. How many prophets? 400. Can you imagine 400 prophets all confirmed? The first one came, go, it shall be delivered to you. Second one, go, it shall be delivered to you. They took confirmation from 400 prophets. Wow. Verse 7. And Joshua said, is there not a prophet of the Lord besides that we might inquire of him? Now, at this time, Joshua is still not convinced. After 400 people are prophesying. Is there, is there, is there any, other, any other prophets? So that we ask him, last one. Joshua is a good king, remember? Now, he's thinking... Maybe last one, all right. So let's go. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. So Ahab said, eh, There's one guy, but I dislike that guy. He said, Why? For he doth not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Let's go. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Hasten hither, Micaiah, the son of Imla. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, sat each on his throne, having put on their robes in a void place in the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. So all the prophets are come one by one. Go, you shall win. Go, you shall win. <laughs> right? Now, imagine this scenario in your area. And Zedekiah, the son of Canaan, made him horns of iron. And he said, Thus hear the Lord, Zedekiah. Now, at that time, Zedekiah was one of the major, major senior prophets of the time. He made horns of iron. Thus said the Lord, with these shall thou push the Syrians until thou have consumed them. Wow. That was a nice prophecy. I like prophecies like this. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord shall deliver it into the king's hand. 
And the messenger that was going to call Micaiah spake unto him, saying, Behold now, the words of the prophets declare good unto the king with one mouth. Let thy word, I pray thee, be like the word of one of them, and speak that which is good. The messenger said, Micaiah, we beg. Everybody says, hey, Charlie, following the crowd then. Everybody says, go, you shall win. When you come, we know you, we beg. Don't say something else. Hmm. Let's go. Verse 14. And Micaiah said, as the Lord liveth, what, what the Lord said unto me, that will I speak. Lift your hands. As the Lord liveth. That which the Lord has spoken to me, so that is what I will speak. What a bold man. Okay, let's see if that's what he did. So he came to the king and the king said unto him, Micaiah, shall we go against Ramoth Gilead to battle or we shall forbear? And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord shall deliver it into the hand of the king. Micaiah. Okay. Next one. And the king said unto him, how many times shall I adjure thee that thou tell me nothing but that which is true in the name of the Lord? And he have said, I've told you, tell me the truth. But he came and he said, ah, go, you shall win. Then he have said, hey, tell me the truth. Someone say the truth. No, someone say the truth. Mm, let's go. And he said, I saw all Israel scattered upon the hills. As sheep that have not a shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let them return every man to his house in peace. What's he saying? You're going to lose. You're going to lose the war. Huh. All right, let's go. And the king of Israel said unto Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you? <laughs> Did I not tell you that you will prophesy no good concerning me but evil? I said it. Verse 19. And he said, Hear thou therefore the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing by him on his right hand and his left. Micaiah begins to give details. And the Lord said, Who shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said on this manner and another said on, on that manner. Now this is a meeting in heaven. God is asking, Who will persuade Ahab so that he will go and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one spirit said this. One spirit. You see, sometimes there are conversations in the spirit realm that you don't know anything about. It's like Peter. Jesus said, Satan has asked. Why did he, what time did he ask? We're all walking around here. He said, Satan has asked. There are conversations going on that we don't know anything about. So Satan has asked that he will sift you as wheat. There are conversations going on you don't know anything about. Let me tell you something. That's why it's good to speak in tongues. So that when they are conversations go, your, your voice can enter there. They are not going to speak three days. <laughs> Satan has asked. So Peter could not believe. He said, me? I cannot deny you. Why? Because, you see, the conversation that was going up in the, in the heavens, that conversation was beyond his character. It will push him to do and act out of, act out of character. Don't say I'm strong. When a conversation goes on in the heavens, you will see, you will be a puppet. All right, go back there. So this conversation going on, Ahab doesn't know that 
the, the reason why he is going to look for fight is because there has been a question that has been asked that who will persuade Ahab that he will go and fall at Ramoth Gilead. He's sitting there, death is calling him. And the Lord said, we shall persuade Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead. And one said on this manner, and another said on that manner, verse 21. And there came forth a spirit and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. How am I going to persuade him? Verse 22. And the Lord said unto him, wherewith? And he said, I will go... I will go forth and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, thou shalt persuade him and prevail also. Go forth and do so. So you see, all the 400 prophets, they didn't know that they were speaking by a lying spirit. Go and you will win. Go and you will win. All right. Verse 23. Now therefore behold, the Lord hath put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these thy prophets. And the Lord hath spoken evil concerning thee. Verse 24. But Zedekiah, the son of Kenan, or Kenana went near and smote Micaiah on the cheek. In other words, Shinasu. Shinasu. Zedekiah, a, a major prophet. Too. He's a major prophet. And he saw, he saw Micaiah saying this thing. And said, which way went the Spirit of the Lord from me to speak unto thee? Where did the Spirit of God pass from me, a major prophet, to you small guy, to tell you this thing? Go back there. Speak unto thee. Then Micaiah answered him. This was the answer. Verse 25. And Micaiah said, Behold, thou shalt see in that day when thou shalt go into an inner chamber to hide thyself. Says Zedekiah, you were a prophet, but this one you did not see it. And you did not see it because you didn't go and hide yourself. You are outside here prophesying lies. If you go into your room and you pray, you will know the truth. Well, the rest of the story, they have died. Verse 26. What happened to Micaiah? And the king of Israel said, Take Micaiah and carry him back into Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. To do what? And say, That's here the king. Put this fellow in the prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. Well, you didn't come back in peace anyway. But I always tell people that, Collins, if we were in this time, it's today because we are reading it as Bible, we will say, this is Micaiah, Micaiah, Prophet Micaiah. Fake prophet! That's why he's in prison. Fake prophet. Fake prophet. 400 prophets! All prophesied wrong. It's not in the number. It's not in the number. It's not in the number. Zedekiah was a senior man. The senior man can get it wrong if he does not pray. When something happens, you ask God. Oh, they said, they said, they said something's come to kill us. They said something's come to kill us. Fear! Following the crowd. How do you escape the spirit of error? I said the first one, you must love the truth. Love the truth. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. I start reading from verse 8. You must love the truth. You must love the truth. You must have a love for the truth. You know what it means to love the truth? It means you want to get it right. Now, 
you will see in the case of Zedekiah, Zedekiah was more concerned about his status than the truth. Come on. Because he said, wherefore did the spirit go from me to talk to you? So as far as he is concerned, it should come from him. If it doesn't come from him, it is wrong. He doesn't love the truth. He loves where he's standing. Now he's talking about the Antichrist, but we get a principle from there. He said, and then shall that, that wicked be revealed whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Verse 9, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. Forget about the Antichrist. He said, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. You see, is there, there's something called the love of the truth. See, they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. Because if they receive the love of the truth, they will be saved. So even if they can go off, they can even go off track. But because they have a love for the truth, they are conscious that they want to get it right. Their heart is sincere in getting it right. So even if they go off track because of the love of the truth, they will come back on track. You can't deceive such a person for long. Because he has a love for the truth. That sincerity will find him. That, that love for the truth. So, let's see another prophet that got, almost got it wrong as well. In fact, he got it wrong. But because he was a true prophet, he got it wrong. Let's see. 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. From verse 1. And it came to pass when the king sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest round about, from all his enemies. Now, this David, God has given him rest. What about? He's not, he's not having, you know, he's enjoying his life at this time. All right? Verse 2. That the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in an house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth within curtains. Now, David is having a nice idea. David says, ah, as he's lying down, he said, ah, see how? I, I live in this bougie house. But God's house is within curtains. He was not happy at all. He was not happy at all. So, verse 3. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in thine heart, for the Lord is with thee. Mm. Nathan, good prophet. Oh. This was the prophet that prophesied about Bathsheba. He is the correct prophet. Always prophesying well. But David said, mm, Nathan, I have a good idea. I want to build God a house. Nathan said, go and do it because God is with you. Verse 4. And it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan saying, no, no, David should not build me a house. Solomon will build it. He has done a nice idea. We like it, but he should not build it. Nathan got it wrong. Because he thought good is God. That is a good idea. Doesn't mean that it's from God. It's a good idea, doesn't mean God will approve of it. It's a good idea, doesn't mean you should continue it. It's a good idea, doesn't mean that God will approve of it. You have to go and find out what God actually wants, not what that is good. Good is not God. It is God that is good. Nathan got it wrong. But you know, because he has a love for the truth, you see, he'll get it right. Point number two, how to escape the spirit of error. Abiding in the presence. Abiding in the presence. Abiding in the presence. If your Christianity, God only knows you from Sunday to Sunday, you will make a lot of errors. To always get it right. So you see, someone like Samuel. He said, behold the Lord's anointed. That, listen now, that he was connected to God 
in a way that he could hear that looked not on his countenance. He was safe. Come on now. Imagine he was not connected. He sees him say, Behold the Lord's anointing. He starts anointing him. That's it. You must be connected, abiding in the presence in such a way that you have always have the latest news. You always have the latest information. Come on, think about Abraham. Abraham heard, go and sacrifice your son. If when he got to the, the altar to kill him, if he didn't hear, don't do it. You'll kill his son for free. Abide in the presence. John chapter 15, verse 7. He said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in me, in, in you, he said, you shall ask what you will. Now, that's, that, that sounds very nice. That's like, ah, that means I can ask anything, I'll get it. No, you forgot the first line. He said, if you abide in me, your words abide in you. Well, if you abide in him and your words abide in him, his will will be your will. So there's no fear of whether you ask your will. Because he, you, he, you abide in him and his words abide in you. Your will and his will have been enjoined. Abiding in the presence. Abiding in the presence. Always, always, you know, conscious of the presence of God. He's, you are connected in such a way that you don't have to think, should I eat beans today? Should I eat gari today? Should I, you know, should I go to the club? God, should I go to the club? Go or not go? Is it a sin? Is it not a sin? No, you have come to a certain place. It's not about what is a sin and what is not a sin. It's about the law of God in your heart. There are things that God, there, there are places you are going that you cannot enter some places. It's not about a sin. God can tell everybody, oh, it's okay, you can go, you can do this, but you, you, know, you know yourself. You, you and God, you, you, know, you, know, you know where you cannot go. You know where you cannot go. You know that you, you, you cannot take a, a picture of your breast and put it online. You know you cannot do it. Everybody can do, get ready with me. Get ready with me and, and, and show their whole destiny, but you know yourself. But you know yourself. It's not, it's not, you're not competing with anybody. You just know that you can't do this because of where you are going. It's not, it's not, I'm not, I'm not against you, but I cannot do it. You see? Yeah, maybe there's a lying spirit, to, but no, me. Yeah. I cannot follow Ramot Gilead. Yeah. Abiding in the presence. There's something about the presence. There's something about the presence. There's something about the presence. You can, you can. Ah. Can I show you something? Hmm. First Samuel chapter 4. First Samuel chapter 4. Verse 15. The presence. The presence. The presence. The presence changes everything. The presence changes. Look at something. Something happened to Eli. He said, now Eli was 90 and 80 years old, and his eyes were dim and that he could not see. Verse 16. And the man said unto Eli, I am he that came out of the army. And at that time, uh, uh, his two sons, Hophini and Phinehas, have died in war. All right? So they are bringing the news to him. He said, I am he that came out of the army, and I fled today out of the army. And he said, what is there done, my son? Mm. And the messenger answered and said, Israel is fled before the Philistines, and there had been also a great slaughter among the people. So number one, Israel is fled. Number two, there's a great slaughter. But the, the, the man is still listening. So, Israel is fled. Oh, 
There's a great slaughter. Oh. And the two sons also, Ovi and Phineas, oh, are dead. Then he heard the last one. And the ark of God is taken. Verse 18. And it came to pass when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell from the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck broke and he died. He said it was not because of his sons. It's not because his sons had died. You see, you can survive Israel fleeing. You can survive a great slaughter. You can survive your sons have died, but you cannot survive the presence taken away. You will see how worthless life is when the presence withdraws. There are men of God whose children have died. They are still alive. They are still doing the work. They are still correct. But if you take the presence away from them, they will become nothing. The presence. There's something about the presence. And I, I told the last time, I said, you, you see, you can be working for God and you are not in the presence. You can be working for God and you are still not in the presence. Why? Because the tabernacle of, of, you know, of, of consecration, that tabernacle that was standing over there, that tabernacle, those who were outside, it's like general crowd. General crowd. Those who went into the holy place, they were workers. Priests, they are working. Table of showbread. They are working. They are doing things up and down. They are holding menorah. They are preaching. Oh, they have crowd. They have people who are listening to them. No, they are doing something, but they have still not entered the most holy place. Now, in the, in, in the, in the uh, holy place, you will see the, tab- the table of showbread, all right? The table of showbread is like the word of God, all right? It's still, it's still the word of God. But when you enter the most holy place, there's what is called a hidden manna. See, you can be ministering because in the holy place, what they do is they minister. You can be ministering and you still don't know God because the most holy place is where you get to know God. When you enter the presence, one of the things that, that happens to you is that you become naked. The presence makes you naked. You say, naked? Yeah. You become naked. Why? Because I can stand here and deceive all of you that I pray. I can deceive all of you that I pray. When I hold a microphone, very anointed. <laughs> I can't even tell you yesterday, I prayed for 10 hours. No, stop. I wish I'm like him. But maybe the past three days I've not prayed. You don't know. But when I get into the presence of God, me and God know that I've not prayed. The presence makes you naked. Because look at Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 1, he said, Woe unto you. He was prophesying to people. Woe unto you. Chapter 2, he said, Woe unto you. Chapter 3, he said, Woe to you. Chapter 4, he said, Woe to you. Chapter 5, he's telling people, criticizing people, Woe to you. Chapter 6, he meets the Lord. He said, Woe unto me. Because the presence reveals you to you. And you see your real self. See your real self. What you should crave in your life is not money, it's presence. Jesus said, with men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That means the difference between possible and impossible is who you are with. You didn't get it. The Lord was with Joseph and he blessed him. The Lord was with Joseph and he blessed him. So, you see, the Bible said the Lord was with him. He was, Joseph was always in the presence of God. That's why when Potiphar's wife was trying to remove his dross, he said, <laughs> he said, remove his what? Yeah. But the first one was right to, you know, Joseph, Joseph had no law because the law came from Moses. But Joseph said, he said, how can I sin against my master and the Lord? I cannot sin against the Lord. Meanwhile, this guy does not have a law. Why? Because he is in the presence. You see, he can detect that which the God will not like. His will and God's will have enjoined. He knows what God will not like. That's why the Bible says, 
in all, in all the time, you know, Joseph was taken from slavery into the pits, into the prison. There's no account that Joseph complained. There's no account that Joseph complained. Why? Because the presence is enough. The presence is enough. The presence is enough. If you have ever got into crisis and the presence of God was there, you know what I'm talking about. The presence is enough. It's like you have eaten. You are, you, are, you are fine. Sometimes you can be fasting, eh? Fasting, you are hungry, hungry, hungry. Last minute of the fasting, you start praying. Then something happens. Then all of a sudden you feel like, you know, I can continue this fast for the next 21 days. I, I'm already okay. Why? Because at that end of that fasting, you broke into the realm of God where God is food. He is enough. He said, blessed are they. That hunger and thirst after righteousness. He said, they shall be filled. Filled with what? Righteousness. You can be filled with God. Because when, they, when, 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 the, when the high priest enters the most holy place, the hidden manna is there. Everything is there. Aaron's rod that battered is there. So when you get into that most holy place, Aaron's rod that battered, productivity is there. Manna is there. The law is there. The word is there. You can sleep there. Everything will be fine. You'll be there. You'll be there. You'll be there. Jesus said, you want to bear much fruit? He said, abide in me. Abide in me. He said, you bear much fruit. So instead of me going to look for more members, I should face God more. Instead of me to go and look for more success, I should face God more. People have lost it. People have lost it. They call it hustle culture. You've not met God. You've not come into the presence. You've not come into the presence. You've not come into the presence. You don't know God. Bible says that someone ministered unto the Lord. He ministered unto the Lord in the time of Eli. Then by verse 7, the Bible says that, and someone did not yet know the Lord. He did not yet know the Lord. So you can be working, you don't know the Lord. You don't know the Lord. Abiding in the presence. Abiding in the presence. Because you are in the presence. You wake up in the morning. Your focus is God. Your focus, your focus is God. Ah. Every atom of creation displays your limitless wisdom, power, and glory. Every atom of creation displays your limitless wisdom in the worlds of your day. There's something about the I said it, it makes you naked. The, presence of God is what changes you. You know, advice does not change people. Believe me. You ask people who are married, they'll tell you. They try to change their husband. Never works. He can change for two years. He'll be back. Like Terminator. Yeah. The guy was a womanizer. You say, when I marry him, I'll change him. For four years, he was, he was with you. He was with you. He didn't, he didn't grow. For four years, he's with you. Four years, he's sticking with you. After four years, he said, this is not me. This is not me. I have the gift of polygamy. This is not me. No. He goes back. He goes back. He's back there. He's doing it. You see, I've come to learn something as a leader. You can't change people. You can't change people. Only the presence can change people. Because it says, but we all with an open face, beholding us in a glass, the glory of the are changed. It is God who changes people. When you are in the presence, you see, so, so, it is only God who will be revealing things to you. You, say that, you see, you see, you talk too harshly. You talk too harshly. 
Then all of a sudden, you see the person. Because it, that thing happened in the presence, the person's talking starts coming down. Now, there are some things about you that you don't, you know, people don't even know. You see, they are not the truth. They, people don't know those things about you. They say you are humble, but you, you know your heart. You're a wicked guy. No, no, come on. As a pastor, I'll tell you. There are people who, who walk around as though they need help. They need help. Employ them and see. Employ them and see, and you'll see Samia. <laughs> you see them in church. They say, hmm. Oh, Chrissy. Hmm. Hey, how are you? Hmm. It's like, oh, this guy's so humble. Oh, this guy's so nice. Everywhere they see him. Hey, I can see him. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Everyone. Everybody say, ah, this guy's so nice. This guy's so good. This guy's so fine. This guy's so, ah. And you employ her. You put her in your office. You put her. Then one day you send her. All of a sudden you see. Ah, I told this girl who always in church. No, she's not humble. Because humility is not an outward thing. There are some people who are doing this, but they are standing inside. Humility is not outside. It's a thing of the heart. But when you're in the presence, you see those changes start to come in. Now, you see, you, you, you know yourself that if people give you one, you give them ten. If people give you, you give them, so you show them the part of you that's not born again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know yourself. You can't tell me that. You can't tell me that. You, you know yourself that nobody can, can, can mess with you. You know that you will give them your peace of your mind and you will fire them. You know, you know yourself. You know yourself. But after you have come into the presence, the presence is changing you. Things are changing about you. You're just, you're not, one time, you know, you, you, your cell leader lost it and said, why did you do it? You look at yourself and say, me, by this time, I would have fired everywhere. You know, but you know that you are still, you are still calm. You are still calm. You are changing. Something is changing about you. It's the presence. You know, if, if another human being tried to force you to change, you wouldn't have changed. But because you are in the presence of God, you see, if all your Christianity is what you are doing in church now, God can help you. I said God can't help you. If all your Christianity is what is happening right now, God cannot help you. God cannot help you. God cannot help you. You need to have a life that is with God outside here. Because here, I'm only, I'm only sparking the engine for you. When you go out there, you see, I said abiding in the prayer, not visiting the presence. You see, Sunday you can visit the presence over here like this. In the evening, make sure you spend some time with God. Sometimes you are spending with God that your phone is off and you are singing some songs. And you know, you are, you are in the presence and you are studying some scriptures and you are meditating on some scriptures. You say, oh, your love is the greatest, the highest, the biggest, and the widest, Lord. Nothing softer Warmer and stronger, nothing tougher than your life that sets on. And thus miracles, no life more costly and precious than the life you freely. 